This episode of Probably Science is brought to you by Harry's. Please visit harrys.com and use the promo code PSP to save $5 off your first purchase. Probably Science. Welcome to Probably Science. I'm Matt Kirshen. Sat next to me is Andy Wood. Yes, I am. I finally got here. <laughs> you got here. We're in a, a not normal location. We're this is two in a row. We're we're off site. We're like a road podcast now. We are. We're tra- we're traveling show. And <laughs> oh, okay, our guest is someone who I wanted to have on the show. I, I've said this more than once. Where oh, this is someone I wanted to have on the show for a long time, and this is one. You're a hard person to pin down, Kelly Carlin. I am. I'm very squiggly or something, I guess. I don't know. I've been really busy, damn it, Matt. super busy. (sighs) Uh, This is Kelly Carlin, writer, performer, everything, uh, uh, (laughs) host of the Kelly Carlin Show on SiriusXM, also host of of, uh, Waking from the American Dream, which is a podcast on the Smodcast Network, which is Kevin Smith's network. Um... And writer of the book, uh, based on the uh, we show. like to say author Matt. I mean, it's, oh. it's, a, it's a, just a little more snotty. Oh my god, I didn't realize elitist. you authored this book. Author. I thought you just wrote it. No, I authored. Oh my this god, book. I'm yeah. even more impressed. The Thank book, you. Thank you. I mean, let's get it right. If we're the book do it. is called A Carlin Home Companion: Growing Up with George, and that's because your 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 dad was an actor or something. He. <laughs> You know, he was in a few movies, actually. Yeah, so actor would definitely went after his name. Probably not the first thing that goes after his name. Yeah, well, I'm looking him up now, and it seems he was a... He was on the Merv Griffin show he, as well? Yes. Uh, <laughs> he did a variety show in the 60s, uh, John Davidson uh, Craft Summer Music Hall right. he did. Um, and also it says here that he invented my job. So... <laughs> <laughs> well, I, maybe not invented, but definitely took took the form of your job to to a new level yeah let's put it that way uh yeah here's here's the thing i remember i saw i saw the show that then became this book when it was quite a way down the road like i didn't see any of the early performances when mm. you're working stuff out and like i knew it would be cool like i knew i'd enjoy the show because i like you and i you're funny and smart and i knew it would be like and it's telling the story of what it's like to grow up with someone who's an icon and so on so right. I mean, the show it blew me away like quite firstly how good it was and how much stuff was in there and how it wasn't just like and then george did this and then which i would have it been, wasn't a powerpoint presentation yeah, no which i would have been delighted to see anyway but it's yes. like i would have been so happy with that but that's in there but then it gets philosophical and it's about your journey mm. and there's so much stuff in there yeah yeah uh, yeah and i used that work i mean i'd already had knew that I was going to write a memoir uh, yeah. at some point in my life and had done some work on that. But when I did, when Paul Provenza, who's the director of my solo show with the same name, A Carlin Home Companion, uh, he and I developed this show, I really understood like what it was I wanted to talk about in in my book you know right. what what is my life really about what are the themes and all that kind of stuff and then the book of course is the 330 page version of the 90 minute show you know I mean, yeah. so they kind of they talk to each other in some way yeah and, uh, yeah and one of the reasons you've them been so hard to pin down is you've been doing all of the media yeah <laughs> I, everywhere I've, I've been on every media pretty pretty much <laughs> yeah it's been crazy it's been a good book tour it's been fun um we'll talk more about the book later but yeah 
like right now buy the book read the book yeah that's fine and we, we, we don't need to talk about the book later because i'm much more interested <laughs> in talking about science well today. let's talk about that uh we always start by asking our guests this what if anything is your background in science all right so people would think you know okay daughter of the comedian guy right you know she's into the theater department she's into english in high school mm-hmm. no it was a math science person oh really yeah. ap physics ap chem hmm. actually took the ap tests for you know those i took ap chem test oh my god i cannot believe i'm saying that what is ap uh advanced placement so okay. in high school you can get college credits ahead of time if you take these ap classes and then you take the exam and then you get a certain score on it and you get a certain amount of units that you don't have to take in college then because you've right. basically taken the course already and um, and I was I loved math from day one as a kid was always a math kid uh, was doing algebra by the time I was 12 or 13 years old way ahead of all my classmates and um, loved geometry calculus I don't know I was really depressed in my when I was 17 years old for other reasons uh, and had calculus that year and um, never really conquered calculus so so I have like a little bit of a part of me that still wants to conquer calculus <laughs> and really understand differential equations just it's, for the pride of it yeah. you're being held back in life not knowing that because it comes up so often I feel like maybe life, I don't right? know I mean I could be a, like a weather predictor person mm-hmm. because I use <laughs> those a lot I'm, I've heard because I watch weather underground every day because I'm a geek um, so or if you happen to have like a container full of liquid and you poke a hole of a certain size you want to know what the rate at which it's yes, losing its just volume in compared case. to the right yes because yeah. I can already do the basic you know, the math on the physics of like if I had a bow and arrow and I shot it and the wind and I, I yeah. can do those already. That's just, you know, uh, you know, trigonometry and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. But calculus, you know, it's, it's a whole nother thing. So, yeah, I'm I do feel I feel just it's a pride thing, a little left out that I didn't really ever completely. Are there some like learning addicts courses nearby? I'm Could sure. You? And, you know, there's probably one of those um you know, that's like Harvard University walks you through calculus. That's um, probably one of those courses. Ho- there'll be a hundred of those online. And you know what? Like calculus, at least the 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 basics of it, once you get into solving like partial differential equations, it can it gets a bit confusing. But the basics Yeah, like functions and things it's like that. Not yeah. actually that hard. Yeah. Like right. it's it's quite like tra- tracking the the um trajectory of a thing you throw. Right. That's just uh going from like a second degree to a fr- it's like yeah. uh, when you when you d- uh, differentiate something that's like x squared it just means bringing that thing down in front and then it's 2x it's like different bring- right it's yeah. Not incredibly- yeah and like understanding like the conceptual idea of what happens when you're differentiating is right like it all you have to kind of be able to get into your head is okay so if you've got a curve yes and and you've got one point on the curve and then another point on the curve. Correct. And you can t- you can tell what angle that slope is at by just drawing those two points. Yes. The closer you bring those points together, the uh, more accurately you get to what the actual slope angle is at the very at that exact point of the first right. intersection. Right. Okay. And then differentiation is just is just working out what would happen if you made the gap between those two things infinitesimally small. Ah. And that's all you kind of have to get conceptually into your head. Interesting. And then integration tells you the area under the curve and uh-huh. again it's the same deal like if you were to divide it into rectangular strips uh-huh. which would be slightly inaccurate because they'd overhang on either side of the slope mm-hmm. um if you divide it into rectangular strips and then add up the area of each of those rectangles you get an approximation right 
And the thinner you make those strips, the, the more close, accurate. The more accurate. Uh-huh. And again, integration is just what happens if you were to make those strips In- infinitesimally small. Ah. And then the weird thing is that those two things happen to be related. Wow. Yeah, one is the opposite of the other. Yeah. Is the Th- that makes of the sense. Other. Yeah. Okay. Wow. See? Which kind of makes That's sense as well, because the angle between the, the triangles is one divided by the other is the... Right. Uh, one unit divided by the other, and the other is one more unit multiplied by each other and right. division and multiplication right. are opposite functions opposite functions yeah I, actually you lost me right there but I'll just not, like, I, even though I understand <laughs> well, well, it I didn't the, yeah, yeah because yeah, the yeah. multiplication division it's like if yeah. it's, it's the opposite yeah. of the other thing it's one's expanding one's making smaller mm-hmm. so um, yeah so I could have uh, really had you <laughs> helpful yeah. if you guys have been hanging out with me at 17 when I was doing bong hits and trying to do my calculus <laughs> homework at the same time. It's the perfect way. I think I think it's the right drug to be going like, yeah, I get it, man. Oh, yeah. No, I could only do my physics homework if yeah, I yeah. had a, a bong hit. Are you telling me if you take the derivative of a, of a wave, it's another Ooh, wave? Dude, <laughs> totes. That's amazing. So did you actually use the AP credits then when you went to college? I did. I did. I didn't go to cr- uh, college right after high school because I was depressed and anxious. Um, and had some issues around that, and then met an older man who I married, which was uh, crazy. But um, but definitely, when I got at twenty five, I went back, mm-hmm. and I did have a couple of units that I could you know shave nice. off of the total units. Excellent, because I had my little AP stuff. Mm-hmm. The downside, people would tell me, and I don't think it's worth not taking it for this, but like you would, uh, if you care about your GPA in college, then you're going to have to go straight into harder classes because you placed out of the yeah. first few, and so you're going to. But have see, here's what happened too: was so I, at twenty five, I go back to UCLA, and I was kind of interested for a while. I didn't know what my major was going to be I was just kind of floating around just trying to find myself as a human to begin with but I got very interested in um, what they were calling back then psychobiology which is the connection between the mind body stuff mm-hmm. um, they were just starting this is um, 80, 88 so they were just starting to study neurotransmitters and really understanding how emotions are affected by yeah. all that kind of stuff and I've always been fascinated with psychology, and I'm very fascinated with the mind-body connection. And um, so I thought, oh, I'll go into that. And then I looked at the requirements to do that, and it was all science. Uh. And now at that point, I'm 25. I haven't done an equation in a long time. And that's the hard thing about science is, is it's cumulative. It is. It is. And if you haven't done a freaking trig problem in a long yeah. time... Uh, and then on top of that, I'm at UCLA with the people I'm competing against. In the, I mean, I took a statistics class for social science people still at the bottom of the curve there, even with the social science class. Mm. You know, it was like, oh, man, you know, it's a lot of competition in yeah. those classes. Yeah. And it's something about being 18. Like, you don't even know not to like it's not that they're more capable. It's just like I, I can't figure out why it is that college students are so smart you know like they shouldn't be they shouldn't be smarter than older people but being that age i think maybe you haven't been beaten down by life enough that and i think the people that that are you know uh self-chosen for that path yeah are the ones who've been preparing for college for five years so they you know they're just they're in that mode and i think once your brain is kind of in that learning mode Mm -hmm. you're you're in the swing of it. Whereas when I went back seven years later, it was like I had to learn how to study again. I mean, I was always a really good student, but just had like basic study habits, how to figure out how to do that again and conquer that, which 
uh, once I did, I loved, you know, and I took I took biology at UCLA, which I loved. And then I took a more advanced biology class there because it was just it is biology is one of the most fascinating things in the world. When you learn the full evolution of yeah, life yeah. on Earth, it's just you know, I mean, it kind of makes you want to believe in a God because you're like, this is too miraculous to not have it be like some sort of conscious thing that's happening. It's amazing. Yeah. And well, then you sort of see the I think it happens even like even in mathematics, you just go. It's amazing how really simple functions can produce incredibly sophisticated shapes or patterns or yes, things like that. You like, go like fractals and things like well, that. Yeah, that's yeah. a perfect example. Like the Mandelbrot set is so simple. Like it's such a simple equation right. and it produces such a remarkable thing. Which, like, for me, that then sort of flip-flops back the other way. You sort of go, like, how can something so complex come from just by chance, from just basic rules? And then you go, yes. like, oh, well, this very simple equation just makes something extraordinarily complex happen right. just through some very basic rules. Yep. A spirograph. <laughs> like, a spirograph. Yes. Like, which a, a, a five-year-old just puts a pencil <laughs> in a thing and just spins it around seemingly lamelessly, and you get this beautiful pattern. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, you go, like, yes. oh, okay, really basic rules can produce something incredibly sophisticated looking yeah that's that's a great i've never really thought of it that way but yeah that's absolutely the truth of it isn't it that's cool um, so were your parents pretty supportive of you being into the sciences or were they pushing you towards the arts or was did, th- my was parents didn't push all? me towards anything <laughs> i had what they call the laissez-faire parenting plan <laughs> i sometimes say i was raised by wolves very loving uh wolves but uh, i had a lot of chaos in my house and my parents were very counterculture so there was no you have to do this or that i think they were both my mom was really really smart she was valedictorian of her high school class mm-hmm. and had gotten a full scholarship to study at a small college in ohio uh she was a pianist also okay and uh, but she never went to college because it was the 50s and women don't do that her mother told her uh and then my dad got kicked out of every if single you want to find yourself a husband <laughs> yeah there was that it, totally exactly and then my dad got kicked out of every single school he was ever in um and and had a ninth grade education oh i didn't know that but you know one of the smartest men i feel was on the planet yeah. so yeah. very intelligent uh, so yeah, they loved that I was smart and a good student. And really, for me, school was my safe haven for about five years in my family because my mm-hmm. parents were doing a lot of drugs and there was a lot of chaos. So school was like, okay, I'm the master of my universe yeah. there because I can control you know that. And math, I really believe that because around age 10, 11, 12 is when I was at I was at a Santa Monica Montessori school and I was you know it was one of those ones would let you go a little older and my math teacher had to read up on things to stay ahead of me <laughs> because I was just consuming like you know early uh, you know early geometry and early algebra I was just I mean for me it was just this mind fun mind puzzle yeah, yeah. you know so but it was it, you could get a right answer like there's something about yeah, that. Yeah, it's satisfying that there's actually a definitive and controlling. I mean, like you feel like you're in control because there is only one answer. Whereas in life, yeah, yeah. not so easy. <laughs> I can see, right, particularly if you grew up in a fairly chaotic childhood, the idea of something which is definitely correct. Yes, is yes. Very... And that every time you do it, it comes out the same way. Yeah. <gasps> <God>. <laughs> control freak heaven. <laughs> So at what age did you realize that your upbringing wasn't what every other kid had, uh, or that um, every kid had 
You know, I think it was kind of, a, I think it's usually around that time, like around eight, nine, ten, is where you kind of start to realize like differences between families and parents' jobs. And, you yeah. know, you just kind of have a recognition of that kind of cultural part of it. And I mean, but I knew that like, I always had, like, I could tell the kids in my class who also were the kids of kind of counterculture actors or yeah. you're, like you're growing up in LA. I'm growing up in LA that's a good point. I guess on the west that. side of LA yeah. so it's yeah. um but I mean there were for sure people who were not in the business at all and much more conservative families and things like that I mean one of my best friends had her dad was a doctor and they were a pretty conservative family but of yeah. course you know everyone had a drink at five o'clock so <laughs> because it was the 60s and the 70s but yeah you kind of figure out like oh okay that family's cool and hip you know and um, you know, like Carney Wilson went to my school. She was oh. a very, very little kid at that time. And um, Diane Cannon and um, Carrie Grant's kid, Jennifer Grant, went oh. there. So, you know, you kind of knew, you know, mm-hmm. who, other people that were in the biz. Was there a hierarchy of whose parents were more famous? Than no, kids don't do that. <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea what this world's Just like. Just grownups do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> grownups love, hi- well, although kids do do hierarchies because there's bullying. But no, no. Yeah, yeah. yeah it is a strange your dad's in a strange level of fame because like particularly in america he's sort of counterculture and then sort of iconic culture because counterculture became iconic culture yeah. but then in britain like i grew up in britain where he'd never really performed in the uk i think and it, he performed once at a yeah. benefit in london huh. in the mid-60s when he was clean cut guy right so most brits particularly Unless they're sort of more into comedy. Unless they're comedy nerds. They agree. know it. Like, he's Rufus from Bill and Ted. Like, that's who your dad is. Oh, that's interesting. I yeah. would have never thought of that, but that makes perfect sense. Yeah. That's, if you're the my age. The movies that... would have made it across to the population yeah, yeah. there much more easier than... I mean, same goes for... We've had... Andy and I have had so many conversations where he'll quote a SNL sketch or SNL character. I can't believe SNL didn't cross the pond. SNL... As... It makes sense, though. Yeah. yeah. But guess, Monty but... Python did come this direction. But what did come over is the movie spin-off from SNL. Oh, right. So we would have... Like, we all watched Wayne's World, but I reckon mo- a large number of people who watched Wayne's World in Britain would have no idea that it was a spin-off from an SNL sketch. What about, like, Blues Brothers or yep. Coneheads? Coneheads, uh, which is even weirder because it's like... Because oh, it's like, like, what? Out of the blue? These people have Coneheads. the classics, like, Ladies' Man, Stuart Smalley Saves His Family. You oh, know, those. Like I, that, that was not my <laughs> SNL. <laughs> There were a lot of ones you forget that were like, oh, yeah, they made one of those, too. Yeah, and you're like, ooh. (laughs) Superstar, the one based on the Molly Shannon character. Oh, wow. There were some 90s ones. Although the Stuart Smiley one is pretty I haven't seen it. I I shouldn't. uh, I do love um, um, Al Franken. Franken, He's pretty genius. Yeah. That's funny. That is interesting, though, that SNL didn't itself. But it was broadcast TV, so I guess that kind of makes sense. It would be shown sometimes, like, in its whatever 30 40 year existence they would um the rights have changed hands so many times yeah also, the there'd, be, there'd be periods of time where it would be shown but even still it would be shown on some obscure some obscure time well slots, and we night. got monty python here through pbs right so if you you know you had to be hep to that to be one get- of those ones where the- yeah, like it was, someone at school goes you've got to watch this thing next week yeah pretty much yeah and once that started happening it was like i mean that completely blew my mind yeah, was yeah. your dad friends with the python guys uh, my dad no yeah. no he wasn't he didn't like hang out with comedy people at all but no the, those that was a whole different world the python people right very different world yeah um should we get into a story or two we should there's one that you loved yeah 
not that I don't. Not that I don't. Well, this crosses over into uh, another one of your scientific uh, likes, and that's uh, social science, psychology. Nice. So, hey, here's something we saw on the BBC. Um, babies, young babies aren't scared of snakes. Oh, Being really? scared of snakes is not innate. Um, so suppose you place a baby in a room with a snake and a spider. Uh, would they play with these creatures or leave them well alone? Uh, researchers are actually studying this. It's well known that babies find live animals much more interesting than stuffed ones. <laughs> okay, apparently that's... I didn't know that was well known. But that, uh, yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't talk sense. about it at breakfast this morning. <laughs> uh, research. Everyone knows. God, there, there isn't a human alive who doesn't know that babies prefer a live animal to a stuffed. Is it just the movement? Is it the heat? Who knows? Research has found that this interest persists even if those animals are snakes and spiders. Hmm. Uh, studies like this are giving new insights into the nature of fear itself and how and when it's acquired. Um, a fear of snakes is one of the most common and intense fears in the world, according to fear researcher <laughs> Judy Deloach of the University of Virginia. This is one of the phrases in there that made me want to read the story. Researcher. Fear researcher. I do like that. Uh, who was not involved in the new study, mm. but just weighing Just in. commenting about it. <laughs> She's, She's probably the thing. only one, so when you're doing a fear story, you have to... Yeah. You better get her comment yeah. about I, it. I hope she works out of a spooky lab. This <laughs> is... <laughs> <laughs> Well, good evening. <laughs> when you call her, there's like bed music of like ghosts. She only plays the organ and a slightly out of tune cello. Mm-hmm. Her hair is a mess. Too. It has to be really messy, crazy hair. But that's just because she's a scientist. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, the simplest view, and one that many people would assume is true, is that we are innately scared of snakes. The idea is that because some snakes are deadly, we've evolved to react to them all with fear. Seemingly in line with that, 11-month-old infants showed images of a snake paired with either a fearful or happy voice. The babies looked at snakes for longer when a fearful voice was presented than when a happy voice was heard. And Make make of that what you will. Another study found similar results when using fearful versus happy faces. Suggesting that young infants associate fear with snakes. However, those studies were not hard proof. No shit. I know, and I'm thinking, yeah, there's there's so much wrong with these studies. And we can't ask babies if they're actually scared of snakes. I've tried so many times. <laughs> Shaking them, and I heard you're not supposed to do that either. Yeah, Answer no. me. The, I think the research yeah. is definitely pretty strong on that one. Yeah, Don't yeah. shake the baby. I cannot. Uh, two paragraphs time, there's another phrase that I can't wait to share with you. <laughs> A new study reassesses how babies react to snakes. Its authors are seeking to overturn the idea that babies, and therefore us, are innately scared of them. I'm picturing like a uh, Inherit the Wind style like courtroom drama between the two the two Ooh, factions in this. Like, I like this. Banging a gavel about the, whether babies are scared of snakes. I'm telling you, we're born that way! <laughs> <laughs> the team measured babies' psychological responses as they watched videos of snakes and elephants paired with both fearful and happy voices. Here we go. They then set out to startle the babies to see how they would react. They presented them with a startle probe. <laughs> there, there's a phrase. I'm guessing that's it's one incredible. of the phrases you like. A startle probe is exactly the thing, which in this case was an unexpected bright flash of light as they watched a video. <laughs> it's just... Um, Fucking with babies is a job. A yeah. startle probe. A startle like this would be more intense if the babies were already scared. Oh. Just like when we watch scary films and jump more if we are already tense. Oh, okay. All right. 
what we found is that their startle responses were not bigger when watching a video of a snake, even when paired with a fearful voice, says co-author Vanessa Lobu at Rutgers University in New Jersey. Uh, the findings have been published in the Journal of Experimental Child Psychology, which is a treat of a read if you ever want to find out other things that people have done to fuck with kids. <laughs> the baby's startle response was actually lower. Their heart response was also low, which also indicates that the babies were not scared. In other words, though the babies paid more attention to the snakes, this did not invoke fear. Hmm. Yeah, Lopu expected this result. Both human babies and monkeys are known to be more interested in snakes than other animals, suggesting that snakes are somehow special. Well, we know they come. They were in the Garden of Eden, so right. clearly yeah. they're the most one of the most special animals they're, on they're the Earth. Most temptress of, like <laughs> of all the animals. <laughs> if this heightened interest in snakes can be more easily be, t- it is this heightened interest in snakes that can be more easily turned into fear in certain circumstances. Children do not have an innate fear of snakes, agrees Deloach. Rather, they have a predisposition to detect and respond rapidly to snakes. For example, studies have shown that young children will quickly detect the presence of a snake in a photo amongst many other non-snake photos. Far from this being hardwired, Lobu is now clear that fear of snakes and spiders is culturally conditioned. While we find different responses to snakes early on, meaning they're spe- they are special, it doesn't seem to be related to fear early in development, she says. It's possible that paying more attention to something might make fear learning easier later on. It facilitates fear learning. Lobu says it's a good thing that we have not evolved an inborn fear of certain things. It is not adapted to have any hardwired fear, she says, because it would limit young infants' desire to explore new things. Instead, we've evolved to quickly learn to be afraid of something if it turns out to be dangerous. Hmm. I would think limiting a young infant's a desire to explore new things would be very evolutionarily advantageous. Like, mm, I, I, I kind of can't believe that... Because he'd be fearful that they wouldn't survive? Yeah, like, I, I kind of can't believe how... Um, and maybe we've talked about why this is, but why human babies are so uh, are so useless and are so dependent on compared to other animals. You know, <laughs> yes. like we're the it's smartest. A great term, <laughs> fucking useless. useless. They just sit there. But I mean, if you don't stop, what are they even they'll, for? They'll put everything in their mouths, so they'll eat poison. They'll die. Right. If yeah. you if you don't have a parent to right. stop them, where other animals are born with more skills. There is. I, I can't remember. Read about this ages ago, but there is an evolutionary advantage, and it's something to do with the reason why our brains. As, as humans are so far advanced compared to other animals, is because we have such a long developmental period. Right, yeah. So we, and we need that. It's like, and we need the long developmental period because we have such huge brains. It's yes. like that thing. So we, yeah, because of that, because we do keep developing and learning and improving our intelligence and knowledge right. well into... Our 20s the, when we go back to school. Yeah, right? yeah. A- absolutely, uh, yeah. And there's the whole social thing. I mean, we are such social creatures, humans, that um, it's interesting that this is a socially learned fear, clearly. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. But it's interesting that we already have that, we're primed to pay attention more to them, because uh, maybe that's a version of having an innate... Maybe that is. ...fear, you know, because that's priming you to be ready to fear it once you're told to. You know, you're paying more attention yeah. to it. You're kind of innately. pre-wired for something. So it's almost like this is it. important one way or you another. Don't know how yes. it's important. I don't, I don't know the right. I don't yeah. know the meaning of it yet. But you're going to assign a value to this <laughs> thing at some point, and if it's bad, it'll be very bad. Right. <laughs> Which means stay yeah. away. You'll live longer. Yeah. It's like a poorly written movie when you have like a minor character get too much 
uh, exposition in the beginning, like, okay, this guy's going to be the guy who did it, because yeah. otherwise, why are you spending so much time on him? Yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah. 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 <laughs> or else it's like the red herring and the, whatever, yeah. Have you guys seen the new M. Night Shyamalan movie? No. <laughs> Has anybody still seen his movies? No. No. I can't do it. Yeah. Um, there's, an- there's another um, animal and psychology story that many people have sent in, and it feels like bullshit. Um, oh, God. Is this the one? Uh, yep. We've had at least four or five people. At least four or five stuff. people have sent in this story, which you can do too. Uh, probablyscience at gmail.com. Tweet us at probablyscience and on Facebook as well. A lot of people want us to cover a story that suggests that men who, ha- who catcall have smaller balls, according oh, to a monkey experiment. One of the articles made that extrapolation. Interesting. Like the, yeah. Yes. The actual story is about uh, apes and their size of balls compared to uh, how much they yell. Yeah, so this is... <laughs> so it's, it's a bit of a stretch, right. you're saying. Yes. No pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Yeah, I think the Daily Dot version of the article that had that slightly more... Um, I mean, you know, as a woman, I would like to think this is true yeah. because this yeah. is like this is now going to help things make sense to me a little more about the the world I live in. Well, is, it, is it even like ball size something that's a particular point of pride? Like, or or and does it? It's and, pretty useless. Yeah, I and, mean, and does it really like have any kind of correlation to like? Uh, the virility of a man ball it has size? To, yeah, it has to do with sperm production. It but does. I'm saying, okay. like, as far as enjoyment of, of a sex act, I can't think of any woman who's been, like, bragging to... Or, I, I doubt there's been a lot of women, like, bragging to their girlfriends about the size like of the their It feels like the premise boyfriends. of a 90s comedy bit, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Tell you what. <laughs> but man, no, it does have, have to balls. do with... Like, if you take a lot of steroids, your balls will shrink because uh, they don't need to produce as much testosterone because oh. you're already getting it from the steroids, I think, right? Is that okay. why? That's interesting. Okay. Um, but yeah, so this Daily Dot article did a little bit of editorializing. Uh, yeah. Even the headline said, Monkey Experiment Suggests That Men Who Cat Call Have Smaller Balls. Clickbait! Yeah, yeah let's not do the one that contains the... Because it wasn't <laughs> the scientists who made like the parallel. mansplain. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Which you is a word you're... that has its use in other contexts, but not mm-hmm. when we're extrapolating from an anthropological Kelly, you know what this study. term means? It's a term for when a man uh, explains <laughs> something condescendingly to a woman. I'm not sure if you've heard of this. Let, uh, me, wow. let me jump okay, in here. Okay, okay, yeah, not, I, I, I haven't got it yet. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but this is a study by... Okay, so it's Jacob Dunn, who is the lead researcher at the University of Cambridge Division of Biological Anthropology. So an actual scientist who does actual science. A Brit. Uh, so yeah, so it's British science, so it's definitely accurate. Yes, it's for sure. And this isn't a species of howler monkey. Uh, he found that primates with louder roars have smaller testes and consequently less sperm. Uh, explaining this reproductive trade-off, he said, when males invest in large bodies, bright colors, or weaponry such as horns or long canines, they are unable to also invest in reproductive traits. Hmm. That makes it sound like a conscious decision, but I get, I get, I get what he means. <laughs> yes. Well, let's see. What do I want? Do I yeah, want yeah. the horns and the fangs or the balls? The I don't know. Settlers mm. of Catan. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna skip over the next paragraph that starts <laughs> with "Now I'm not a scientist," but the parallels <laughs> between obnoxious men. Blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not one of these fancy scientists. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not into using reasoning yeah. and stuff like that. I like clicks, though. I like making money from articles. I can do clicks. Yeah. Um. But yeah, the uh, so the correla- the very uh, tenuous c- uh, conclusion is that then men who are catcalling women, uh, can we get some balls measured on this? That, can yeah, we do an experiment? Yeah. I'm, I'm ready. Can uh, we get a grant for this? I'm ready to get a grant for this and yeah. do this. But then, is a the guy who catcalls also a person who can catcall louder? 
Like, do they actually have better uh, de- developed vocal And cords? is this really... Yeah, or- is- I say the worst cat callers are sort of the whisperers. <laughs> <laughs> it's officially not cat calling at that point. It's cat whispering. <laughs> That seems like a sketch someone has done, like a shy cat caller. Yeah. Like, Would well, you say nothing? Well, <laughs> and then they're saying basically then that New York construction guys all have small balls. This is pretty yeah, much the, pretty the much. next l- leap of logic. That's I, what enables them to balance on girders. Okay, mm-hmm. see, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is this is all making perfect sense. We're doing science here right now, people. <laughs> but then back to the howler monkeys. This part doesn't make sense to me. Uh, in this same article, they said the howler monkeys are in a battle for reproduction geared towards sperm competition. Makes sense. Um, and the howler monkeys that live in groups with other males tend to have smaller vocal organs and bigger testes, while the monkeys that are basking in a monkey harem surrounded by ladies tend to have larger vocal cords and itty-bitty teeny-weeny testes. Uh-huh. But wait, it implies that means that they were successful in their cat yep. calling? Yep. So, ladies like men who talk to them, I guess, uh, so, during so it's like You've got to get in there, but once you're in, you're, you're sorted. You're you don't good. need to have the big yeah. balls. Whereas when, there is only, when there are fewer men and fewer... Men, fewer males and fewer. <laughs> I've done that a lot in this show. Okay, clearly these monkeys are not feminists. These women, because if they're going for the catcalling monkey, I don't know. They don't. Just sound like they have know, a lot of sense of themselves and self-esteem. But I what's think, what's more feminist? I think than like having the freedom to choose. Like I think you can. Like, that I think is in true. In the bedroom, all rules are off. That that, that is true. That you is, can still. I I say as long as that. As long as that male monkey respects the woman after the the mating and the process, there's a little over. spooning going on, mm-hmm. and a yeah. little. <laughs> it's like yeah, in the bedroom, yeah, I'm all calling out and trying to attract you with my virility. But once we're done, we're equals. <laughs> Except he's got the harem. <laughs> all right, so I'm not quite sure about the equal part in that. <laughs> uh, they do go for the bad boys. <laughs> That's go what it the is. They go for monkeys. the bad boys. Yeah, it does also say the ones with the motorbike. <laughs> yeah, there's a picture. This guy's got and a the leather jacket. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty nice. It says, like, yeah, the nice. howler monkeys that the mother, the monkey's parents warn her off. <laughs> <laughs> and that just kind of basically explains American politics then, because <laughs> then those are the people that have bred more, and here we are in 2015, yep. right? You guys, what I what I'm most scared about our future is uh, the fact that we're the custodians of America and the next generation are these idiots who don't even know to turn their phones sideways and they're shooting video. I just saw someone <laughs> riding behind her boyfriend on a motorcycle shooting video on her phone with her phone vertical. Like that's gonna be garbage. You're never gonna look at that. It's, it's gonna look good. awful on a screen. Nope. People do not have basic uh, director photography skills. I don't understand why that isn't an innate thing. That's something babies should understand is landscape versus portrait. And and now the phones can do it. You know, come on, people. Utilize utilize the tool. There is something that, um, uh, while we're talking about politics and science, I hadn't realized uh, our friend Paolo uh, Saez Navarro wrote in to point out, uh, to link to an article about how much science helps swing the Canadian election. Uh, well done, Canada, by the way. Yes. In between our last podcast and this one, you've kicked out the terrible person and hopefully put someone who's less terrible in. Well, he's at least someone who actually believes in science. Yeah. And I hadn't realized until this article, I hadn't realized quite how much um, how much Harper's government had. Like, I knew that Harper has elements of, you know, he's very much in bed with the oil companies mm-hmm. and he's all about that and everything. But I hadn't realized quite the extent to which his government had really hampered science and how much scientists were in fear of any criticism of the government f- ending up with their grants completely wow, disappearing. that's and- frightening. That is. I mean, that's... 
Yeah, so <sighs> a lot of particularly environmental science, but a lot of other scientists found themselves at having to tread incredibly carefully around an extraordinarily anti-science government. Yeah. I mean, that's like, that's like, you know, having your leader just being kind of like a crazy person because he's like denying reality yeah. to suit his, yeah. his worldview for the comfort of his own, you know, he doesn't want to have any cognitive dissonance at all. So we talked about this a bit, quite a bit last week where we had, um, Johan Hari on talking about his book on the drug war mm-hmm. and, just the extent to which politicians will pretend to engage the services of scientists and then utterly ignore, like, or, or even impose the- their own view on what they think the science is saying. And wow. Yeah. Wow. Like, what was the, the conversation? It was. Didn't you. Did we last week talk about the actual letter that was sent in response to. I'm trying to remember. I've lost track of time the last two weeks. Um, the the study about uh, weekends being more deadly at hospitals. No, we didn't. But actually, yeah. Well, while we're talking about this, we sh- you know what we were talking about this off camera. Off, off camera. Okay, I don't I don't know. I can't uh, keep my blood life straight. Yeah, because while we're talking about the Canadians being bad with science and everything, so Britain, um, Britain right now has a conservative government mm. and they're doing some really unpleasant things, partly by stealth. And one of the worst of them is Jeremy Hunt, who is the health minister, who by the way has co-authored a book sort of describing how to dismantle the health service. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And he's dismant- for dummies. Yeah, yeah uh, and he's dismantling the health service by stealth. And wow. last weekend there was a huge protest uh, through London of junior doctors supported by other health professionals because he's trying to change their contract and they have all said like, no, this is incredibly harmful. And one of the things he's doing is he's trying to impose this, what he calls the seven-day NHS Um and they're like, we do work these huge long hours and we do all work weekends. And he keeps quoting this study that was in the British Medical Journal that said that mortality rates were higher for people who were admitted over the weekends in hospitals. Mm-hmm. Now, the obvious reason for that is that a higher proportion of emergency cases right. are weekend emissions right. because people aren't having cataract operations or moles removed at 9pm on a Sunday. <laughs> like, yeah. All of the- it's trauma. It's accidents. Exactly. It's, yeah. Which happens throughout, happens midweek as well. But yes. midweek, there are also these other routine procedures that have almost zero But you've scheduled mortality. to be on a weekend. Right, yeah. right, um, right. So there's, that's one reason amongst... And even the author of the... The authors of the journal, like in the paper that he keeps quoting right. to support his bullshit and dangerous and harmful views, even the authors of that paper said within the paper, this doesn't imply this thing that he's implying. Right. And then let me find the actual letter because now the editor of the British Medical Journal wrote a letter, um, wrote, wrote an open letter to Jeremy Hunt. Uh, and he still, I believe, hasn't addressed it. And he's still doubling down and quoting quoting this study and saying well there are other factors but it still does support this so here's fuck that guy so here (laughs) here is the wording of the letter uh let me i can't actually find let's talk about something else while i'm I'm looking (laughs) i thought i had it loaded up 
Um, oh, I can talk about the fact that uh, those of you who are sending in donations, thank you so much. I'm sorry that we can't accept them right now, but we, we've been putting off actually incorporating the podcast for a long time. It's been four years. And uh, PayPal was finally like, yeah, you have to provide you know, the tax ID number for your yep, company yeah. or else you can't keep using it. If any of you are California-based accountants or even just American yeah. account, if you know how to do that. I recommend an S-Corp. Not uh, an LLC? I, I ha- no, we can do an LLC d- also, but it, ultimately all the money will filter into you and you'll have to pay taxes on it either way. Right. You know, but you can do, for either one, you can do deductions. Um, yeah. I, I just wanted to go to a, a, an entity that's yeah, separate from the e- three of us before we all... Yeah, t- e- either one, yeah. but probably LLC is the best if you have partners, yeah. yeah. But in the meantime, uh, I know people have tried to donate this week and you found your donations being bounced, including some recurring donations. Sorry about that and thank you for trying to give us money and we'll yes, get it sorted we soon. Appreciate it. Uh, here is the letter and it's from Fiona Goodley, who's the editor-in-chief of the British Medical Journal. Okay, first of all, her name's Fiona. Love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very uh, British. Is it? Yes. It's a very British name. Yeah. I don't know any Fionas. Yeah, no, yeah. it's a very... I hear it in Britain all the time. Uh, dear Secretary of State... I am writing to register my concern about the way in which you have publicly misrepresented an academic article published in the BMJ. The article by Fremantle et al. reports an analysis of 30-day mortality after admission to hospital and finds a statistical excess of deaths in patients admitted at weekends. What it does not do is apportion any cause for that excess, nor does it take a view on what proportion of those deaths might be avoidable. Despite the author's very clear statements to this effect in the paper and elsewhere, you have repeatedly told MPs and the public via media interviews that these deaths are due to poor staffing at weekends, with a particular emphasis on medical staffing. This clearly implies that you believe these excess deaths are avoidable. I ask you to publicly clarify the statements you have made in relation to this article to show that you fully understand the issues involved. We all want the very best health service for patients and the public. Misusing data to mislead the public is not the way to achieve this. Yours sincerely, Fiona Goodley. That's awesome. And uh, he's a politician and he will totally ignore yeah, it. Never yeah, know. yeah. Fuck <laughs> that guy. See it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's so frustrating. I don't... Yeah, I'm trying to see whether there is a response now. Uh, BMJ, Hunt... I mean, this is like, you know, the whole ExxonMobil thing, you know. They're like, they know the climate science and everything and then they... They just, yeah. And um, apparently there's two studies cu- about to come out that show even... Or two in-depth reporting articles that are about to come out that show the extent to which they've been deceitful. Yeah, yeah. And it goes far deeper and far more <sighs> remarkable than it ever than people they thought. They are as evil as we've always known them to be. They're actually more evil, probably, than we've always mm-hmm. known them to be. I yeah. mean, it's just... I mean, that's like... That's, you know... I, <laughs> it just it's, it boggles my mind on some it is. level. It is because they're destroying the world. They're, like, they're destroying literally destroying the, the world. planet, helping to destroy the planet. Not, I mean, and 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 yet at the same time they're like secretly going, yeah, but we've got to have a long term strategy to figure out how we can be making money in fifty yeah. years. So how are we going to do it when the planet's destroyed? Even though, and we we believe it is because we're doing this strategy. I mean, it is. Well, this is one of the things this study There's got to be a ring of hell for them. We've we got to call Dante up and find out which ring of hell that is. <laughs> well, one of, the, one of the things that one, at least one of these studies ha- has found out is their scientists 30 years ago expressly stated that m- human activity is driving climate change. Yes. And on the back of that, they didn't do anything to stop it, but they did put into practice 
uh, new business plans that would capitalize on that, such as, for example, planning to drill in areas that will be opened up yeah. by ice melting. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that. yeah, it is just... It's incredible. I think if you look up evil in the dictionary right now, that is what yeah. you will find. That that this is this exact situation. Yeah. But luckily, it's it's still out. You know, the jury is still out on this. We did have the strongest hurricane in recorded history yesterday. Yeah. But it's, you know, it, that be... I think went from tropical storm level to the <laughs> in like cat 20 five. Minutes. Yeah. yeah. In, there are... in like twenty minutes, pretty much. There are mixed views actually. Like, I know article... that's not actually definitely. Well, I don't know. It's but, interesting. Uh... There was an article in Slate that said it was definitely climate change, and then there was a thing in NPR that said that El Nino can't be linked to climate change. It's definitely, El Nino is definitely having, a, yeah, having an effect. Sure, for sure. I was mostly a joke. I don't know if you know. Yes. I mean, the El Nino is, and yet it is the hottest El Nino we've ever had. And yeah. once again, it's the hottest year we've ever had on the planet. So, you know, yeah. They, they, these little local things, they can't because it's so complicated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The science and the math behind Trump it. Trump is still, again, yesterday apparently tweeted, like, it's cold in New York. How can right. I go? Uh, Fuck you. Like, really? Yeah, because weather is climate. Right. And- <laughs> right. Yeah. They're the no. Local weather is the same thing as climate. Yeah. It's- I'm pretty sure if uh, Usain Bolt was sitting down, I could beat him in a race. It doesn't mean that... <laughs> In general, <laughs> in, in general, he's definitely faster than me. But I could. There are moments where I'm moving quicker than there him. There are moments there, when absolutely, yeah. There are times. <laughs> That's great. I wonder if we could convince some of these people by applying magnetic fields to their brains. You think that's possible? I don't, but I think there might be a story that you're linking there to There might somehow. be a story. This I think this is one Kelly will like. This is one I liked. Uh, sent to us by Justin Broad. Um, scientists can reduce your people's belief in God by directing magnetic energy into the brain. Whoa. And they found the same results when trying to reduce intolerance towards immigrants. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, scientists from the University of York have found a way of performing mind control by directing magnetic force towards the posterior medial frontal cortex of the brain. They were able to reduce belief in God and decrease intolerance towards immigrants. Um, the part of the brain is located near the surface, roughly a few inches up from the forehead, and is associated with detecting and solving problems. In the study, half the participants were given a low-level amount of energy that would not have affected their brains, and the other half received enough magnetic energy to lower activity in that part of the brain. And the teams from University of York and from UCLA found that people whose targeted brain region was temporarily shut down reported 32.8% less belief in God, angels, or heaven. They were also 28.5% more positive in their feelings towards an immigrant who criticized their country. (laughs) Dr. Kizi Izuma from the University of York's Department of Psychology said people often turn to ideology when they're confronted by problems. We wanted to find out whether a brain region that's linked with solving concrete problems, like deciding how to move one's body to overcome an obstacle, is also involved in solving abstract problems associated by addressed by ideology. The team wanted to find out whether religious ideology and anti-immigrant sentiment were used as a trigger response to problems such as the worry of death or threats to the country. And this definitely wasn't something that hurt so much. They were like, "There is no God." Right. <laughs> <laughs> can an immigrant can an immigrant turn this magnet off? Yes. And then, I, and then I would shake Sir, his hand. You look like you are, you're from another country. Yeah. Please turn the switch off. Please. <laughs> If I let you and your family stay, please. Hey, everybody. Andy here with a quick announcement from our friends over at Harry's helping make this episode possible. If you're a person who has hair growing out of some part of your face or body that you don't want there, you know that shaving is a hassle. First and foremost, it is a huge annoyance. 
You know who's helping make it less of a hassle? Our friends over at Harry's. Harry's.com was started by two guys who are passionate about creating a better shaving experience for everybody, so much so they bought a blade factory in Germany. It's been crafting some of the world's highest quality blades for nearly a century. They cut out the middleman and offer an amazing shave at a fraction of the price of drugstore brands. No more waiting in line at the drugstore for someone to come unlock that weird plastic case that's there in case someone's going to like steal razor blades to resell them on the black market of razor blades or something. It's no no more of that ever again. You can just go straight to harrys.com and sign up for a starter kit for just $15 that includes the razor, three blades, and your choice of Harry's shave cream or foaming shave gel. I'm kind of partial to the cream. It smells real good too, but they're both great. As an added bonus, as I've said, you can get $5 off your first purchase with our code PSP as in Probably Science Podcast. When you use that code, you'll get an entire month's worth of shaving for just $10. Shipping's always free, so no worries about added-on fees after you've completed your order. Just go straight to harrys.com now and use the code PSP for $5 off your purchase. That is H-A-R-R-Y-S.com and use the code PSP at checkout for $5 off the starter set and start shaving smarter today. (laughs) Okay, so what they're saying, let me get this clear. Is that uh, we we use these kind of shortcuts? It you could use way. it like a shortcut of like a belief in God or this ideology shortcut to when you're faced with this problem. When you're faced with this problem, such as that's, being reminded of death, they did that as part of it, right? Or that um, someone is. Uh, Threatening, threatening your country, country I, I, I guess yeah, on some level part, i don't know what the i don't think they actually what the, mentioned what the exact problem of that is the immigrant but, part but um but some i mean sort that of is threat, some sort of threat though obviously right. to safety and self yeah on and some most level. anti-immigrant sentiments like most racist or any sort of bigoted sentiments come from come from lazy thinking and come from right or come from tribal thinking which generally then is more likely to have some sort of ideology around god or religion or stuff like <laughs> but that. probably also yeah. some actual thing that you perceive as bad if, if you're doing fine you're not usually oh well, maybe that's not true i don't know i'm trying to think why would like the trumps of the world care aside from trying to like win over people that they know are yeah easy that's to... he's totally cynical yeah. he doesn't believe what i half the shit he yeah, says yeah. he's he's you know he's just crazy uh, but if you're not doing well economically or in your life then it's e- probably easier for you to scapegoat in general but what's like frightening me about this and kind of what frightens me about some of this stuff that happens in labs and technology that it's um just because we can do this yeah. why aren't we we need to be having conversations i think like starting 25 years ago <laughs> in whether we should be doing experiments like this and figuring this stuff out because it's all neutral it's all neutral it's you know it's just as a thing we figure this thing magnetic thing can shut the thing off or whatever but um it, it put in the wrong hands it's not neutral and it's unintended mm. consequences of everything we create uh that's not organic and not part of uh nature uh, so we don't know unintended consequences of doing something like that like how that might change humanity on some unintended way that could really if, fuck us up if someone had a giant magnet they put over a whole country or something well, this, yeah this or, article's in the telegraph which normally skews very right wing uh but there is a there is a question here at the bottom uh, multiple choice would you let a scientist put magnetic force in <laughs> that's a really weird phrasing as yeah. well would you let a scientist put magnetic force in your brain <laughs> like it's like <laughs> Would you let him put magnetic force in your brain? <laughs> like, Wait, what is. if I click? It's what do you think? Odd I'm saying yes. Oh, 62% say no. Yeah. 
I mean, people don't like. It's a scientist. I mean, I guess if you're going to sign up for something like that, I mean, yeah. but um, and the, it's fascinating. But there's a little more to the article. Um, I mean, not much more in terms of details of what they're doing. But they said they decided to remind people of death because previous research has shown the people turn to religion for comfort in the f- face of death. Um, and as expected, we found that when we experimentally turned down the posterior medial frontal cortex, people were less inclined to reach for comforting religious ideas, despite having been reminded of death. And the lead author, Dr. Colin Holbrook, this paper from UCLA, expanded on this, saying these findings are very striking and consistent with the idea that brain mechanisms that evolved relatively basic threat response functions are repurposed to also produce ideological reactions. Uh Interesting. Well, that makes sense, though. I mean, it does because it's a problem problem solving thing. Ultimately, is you know, how do I feel safe enough to navigate in the world? Yeah. So, and what do I use to do that? So, um, and beliefs. I mean, you think of superstitious beliefs were built to like you know to stay away from snakes, yep, <laughs> and spiders. <laughs> dangerous mm-hmm. one of your friend walked under a ladder and then he got bitten by a snake and right. now you have a thing yeah. <laughs> exactly uh but yeah uh, yeah it's it's interesting i mean i wonder if afterwards if after they took the magnet away if did it a- come back i mean i would assume it did I don't, yeah i don't think it's a permanent change but i wonder if they also if you asked them right afterwards do you remember saying this a few minutes ago like how they would feel about their past feeling you know yes. what I mean? like do they remember the feeling of not being as right and then what do they turn to for comfort around death right like if you're not turning towards uh some religious idea of an afterlife what you know what are you are you at more just at more at peace with the fact that like maybe super there is chill. <laughs> yeah i mean i'm really that would i'd be curious about that like so what do they believe next then and yeah. and yeah and will their maybe their views change now that they've had an experience of this other space that's what i was wondering because you it, saying something out loud makes you change your thinking about it sometimes also absolutely yeah so you're like kind of creating a new neural pathway anyway because you're creating a new a new thought pattern um so i wonder if they're going to be more likely in the future to be more tolerant of um this could solve a lot of problems uh, guys invest in a giant magnet justin broughton in that story by the way along with many others yes justin is always always good for a bunch of stories every week uh Oh, um, here's a little correct, or not even correct, just a clarification, just an extra little tidbit, because a couple of episodes ago we were talking about giant flying birds, and what the biggest bird was, or the biggest flying bird is, and Mickey Flykick, which, is that your real <laughs> no, name? That can't name. be your real name. Thank you. We've gone over this before, it's, it's not. It's good, yeah. Mickey. It's a good name. <laughs> that's right, he's from the Hamilton Flykicks. <laughs> uh, the largest bird of prey to ever exist, according to Mickey, and Wikipedia as well, was the Hast Eagle. Or Hast's eagle, rather, apostrophe S. It's the eagle belonging to Hast. <laughs> it was native to New Zealand, thought to have coexisted with the Maoris, and ate giant moa, which are supersized emus. Oh, does it say ate and R giant moa? Is that meant to be R? Uh, it weighed up to 33 pounds and had a potential wingspan of nearly 10 feet and 10 inch talons. And it was a bird Damn. of prey. Yeah. Holy shit. Uh, it's basically the eagles from Lord of the Rings, so they're appropriately <laughs> kiwi, says Mickey. Yeah, there's an artist's rendering of it attacking emus, and the emus are definitely bigger. That's incredible. But I mean, it's still, the bird's still massive, but I mean, that's ballsy of that bird. Yeah, to here's go. a... Have, have you got the picture open? Let me see. This thing. Oh! <laughs> yeah, well, like, you know, those talons and that... that that beak that could you yeah. know we'll post the picture on probably it just needs to it needs to wound it pretty good yeah. and, you know yeah. take it yeah. down yeah. But, i mean emus i heard have pretty nasty little talons too so but that picture definitely looks like something a slightly troubled kid would draw in the back of class <laughs> 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 
big fucking e- eagle, the big talons is gonna fuck up this bird. And then the like, word ACDC misses. rules on the other part yeah. of the page too. And it's like some devil horns and some fire. Put some names underneath it. Mrs. Thompson is the emu. Me and the bird. Oh, there's even a stuffed. Wait, how do they stuff? Okay, this is just artist rendering it's in a three dimension. There's a model. Yeah. Yeah, we got into a bit of um, a bad taxidermy kick yesterday. Oh, oh yeah. those are tough. We have a coworker who's those doing those are a, tough, man. Who's doing a documentary about women in taxidermy? Because there's a big like scene of female taxidermists in L.A. Wow, really? Yeah, in yeah. L.A. Apparently so. Because there's so much roadkill. I don't know. I, what the Creative hell? People with odd. Strange, odd hobbies. It seems to have some overlap with, like, we had uh, the author of, uh, uh, um, have you ever seen the the video series, um, Ask a Mortician? mortician. No. Um, It's Caitlin Dottie does uh, a web series about uh, being a mortician, and she has a book out called Smoke Gets in Your Eyes about working in a crematory. Oh, nice. And how our culture deals with death and things. And I feel like that that sort of world, there's there's probably some overlap with the taxidermy. Oh, yeah, a little obsession with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But God, I... Yeah, it's bad. I find there are a few things funnier than bad taxidermy. I think you're right. Yeah, it's just, amazing because the, the looks on these animals' faces it is, alone it is. are just. Uh... And it's the incongruity between <laughs> something that's normally fierce or majestic creature just looking so ridiculous, silly. The grips home lion is just. I every so often I'll yeah. If you're having a bad day, yeah, you was, need to cheer you yourself gotta... up. And that one fox, I don't know if it has a name, but it, it's been memeified a lot. Uh, hang on, I'm going to show you from the side first. Uh-huh. Uh, where it? So, and have you seen this box? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, the eyes are lovely. That's it from the side. Uh-huh, yes, right. This looks almost all right. Yeah, a little scary. I'm a little scared of that. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh. Love it. They gave, it, they gave it human teeth. Do you know, you're ho- <laughs> they did actually. You're right, human teeth. And you're hoping that it's like okay, maybe that was like the first week at class, and okay, maybe it was a big animal. Maybe it was week two, but they're just they're beginners. They're learning. Right, right. It'll get better. Somewhere. It'll get better. Really, I hope it will. I like, could really look at bad taxidermy for after hours, all that work on that thing, and then you do that, and then you look at it. You're, you know, you're kind of looking at your work. What, how how much is their heart breaking when they realize that they've really not kept, quite well, captured the? Or is it like the lady who tried to fix the fresco in that church? And <laughs> yes, made, with us. And she just, I bet she just crossed her arms and like, yep, uh-huh. did it. And look she at that. Called, she does. Yeah. We've talked about her on the show before. Yes, yeah. because again, we talked about it on the Todd Glass episode. My favorite, my favorite comedy in general there's something like Nick Duty, friends of the show and I've talked about Lowe's we always try to write something like that if we're writing it is just the well-meaning person yeah. doing the worst thing yeah mm. like there's nothing funnier than someone who's just doing the worst thing in a so situation earnest. so earnestly and yes. so and keeps the earnest like yes. they should never feel embarrassed by what's happened because then I cringe and that's horrible right. they should I hate cringy <laughs> comedy but right. someone who someone who still thinks they've done the right thing yes like, there we go. Yep. Yep. And, <laughs> and and they don't think they, they're not sticking to that because out of some sort of like false pride. No. It's a deep belief that absolutely they've made the world a better place. <laughs> That's what that woman Through has. their actions. <laughs> and she believes it. And weirdly, she kind of ended up doing that because it was a... <laughs> It was a small and not particularly economically yes, viable town, right. and now it's a tourist attraction. <laughs> exactly. And the church has got lots of donations to like fix it. Like here, here's twenty bucks. Yeah. Could you put it towards the fund to fix it, please? 
in the same vein of comedy, even though this person knows he's doing that comedy, I haven't laughed harder. You sent me this link, and nothing in months has made me laugh as hard as a list of this uh, this troll who goes by Ken M. Yeah, all of his most legendary comments he's left on things, and it's just and this he's great a fake mix. Troll? I mean, he's a, well, he's a troll. I mean, he's a he's he's falsely acting like confident with these very wrong things oh, that are okay. obviously just trying to bait people into saying that's not true. And he's oh. just like, well, I think you don't understand. I have a guy on t- I f- who follows me on Twitter who does that too, and I'll just be like, you can't, you're you're you don't go after him. You don't understand. <laughs> but I mean, his. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So your other he, followers? He has get reeled you in. Yeah. yeah, yeah. At least this guy's thing is victimless. Like, he posts this on Chef Boyardee's site about how much he loves. There's a stack of magazines behind the burner where he's cooking right. the Chef Boyardee. And Chef Boyardee says, looks delicious, Ken. Uh, we'd suggest moving those magazines, though. You don't want a fire on your hands there. Thanks for your post. And then underneath he says, also, if you pop it in the oven, <laughs> it tastes just like mom used to eat up. And, and he has books. it in the oven on a stack of books. <laughs> It's just so dumb. It's I do. I love that humor, oh too. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In fact, if we can remember that, I'll post the link to all like his top 27 trolls. They're all so great. I <laughs> we got time for another couple of quick stories or one quick story, right? Well, it's up to Kelly. I know we got started late. So. Yeah, no. Yeah. Get, let's let's do one more. What are you? Because uh, I've learned so much right? today, you guys. Magnets to brains um, and stuff. I might do another story that Justin sent in, which is the orange peel uh, ocean thing. Talking about some bad environmental news, but here's a nice one. Um, Accidental orange peel discovery could save lives. Oh, what? Scientists stumble over cheap material that can suck deadly mercury out of oceans. Australian researchers have accidentally discovered a way to remove mercury from water using a material made from industrial waste and orange peel. Developers Max Worthington and Justin Chalker from South Australia's Flinders University said until now there would be no such method. But wait, isn't there like an industrial cleaner that is like orange based? Isn't that a thing you use to I don't get know. grease? Maybe off that's your... how this accidentally happened. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a huge step for the pair with mercury being a dangerous pollutant that can damage food and water supplies, affect the human nervous system, and especially is especially poisonous for children. Synthetic chemist Dr. Chalker said the best thing about the material was it was incredibly cheap and relied on products that were already being discarded. The affordability of the material meant it could be used for large-scale environmental cleanups to coat water pipes carrying domestic and wastewater and even in removing mercury from large bodies of water. Mercury contamination plagues many areas of the world, affecting both food and water supplies and creating a serious need for an efficient and cost-effective method to trap this mercury. Uh, Dr. Chalker said. Uh, I, oh, go ahead. So no, go for it. What are you saying? I was just going to say, I like that the whole, this whole thing was discovered accidentally. <laughs> yeah. And all I could think was uh, the commercials, which I don't know if you would remember, Matt, because you're not American, but um, yeah, where the people coming around a corner, one had peanut butter in their hand and the other had chocolate. And it was the it was the original Reese's peanut butter cup commercial, which is uh, your peanut butter is on my chocolate and your chocolate is in my peanut butter. And it was this accidental thing. And it was like, oh, my God, this is delicious. Right. So I'm wondering, like, how this accident happened. Like, oh, your orange peel is in is my, my toxic mercury. waste. <laughs> yeah. And my toxic waste got in your orange peel. Oh, my God. Look, it's pulling the mercury out of something. Well, let's find out. Is it, 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 I believe it says it in this article. His. His team initially set out to make a useful type of plastic or polymer made from something widely available. We ended up settling on sulfur because it's produced in 70 million tons per year by the petroleum industry as a byproduct. So there are not many uses for it, and limonene is produced in 70,000 tons per year, and so it is relatively cheap. 
Dr. Chalker says it literally grows on trees. Limousine is not just uh, the way you say limousine when you're drunk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, limousine. We go dances, and then we get back in limousine. The plastic-like substance they created is made entirely from sulfur and limonene, industrial waste products that are widely available but unused around the world. We take sulfur, which is a byproduct of the petroleum industry, and we take limonene, which is the main component of orange oil, so it's produced in large quantities by the citrus industry, and we're able to react them together to form a type of soft red rubber. And what this material does is that it can grab mercury out of the water. That doesn't describe how, but it just says it. <laughs> what it does there's a picture it of a magic. Of- it's magic. Okay, guys. Yeah. There's, a, there's a picture of a block of it, and it looks like a slightly. It looks like a Lego brick, but slightly, but black and slightly gelatinous. It does look like a gummy, gummy Lego. Um, he said they conducted toxicity studies to make sure the polymer itself was not harmful to the environment. Uh, that gives us hope we'll be able to commercialize and actually use this in the environment. Uh, According to Flinders University, mercury pollution occurred as a consequence of a number of industrial activities, including mining and the burning of fossil fuels. Mm, That man-made thing we're doing again. Mm -hmm. Sorry about that. Uh, It said levels of the pollutant in the ocean had tripled since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. Its contaminated fish and seafood entering the human food chain where it had been linked to health problems and lower IQ in children and also compromised the reproductive health of birds and fish. Did I ever tell you about the time my mom walked down on me playing with mercury? No. Was it like in your hand? Yeah, thermometer broke, and I was like, this is cool. I was like rolling it around in my hand. She's like, like, what? Look how cool this is. Because it is. It, I, is. it was very cool. Uh, my, my parents were both, I think we've talked about this before, my parents were both of a generation where if it was a rainy day and they weren't allowed, if it was too rainy and they were, they were kept in during breaks at school, mm-hmm. they would just pour a vial of mercury on the table and let them play with it. <laughs> what they did just like have at it kids that's like you guys watch the show the nick yeah 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 yeah. Uh, it's great show it's about early medicine and the uh turn of the century 1900 new york city yeah basically human experimentation is going on in the operation field well they get this really cool new device it's called an x-ray machine in the hospital (laughs) so everybody wants their x-rays and all the doctors and nurses are like posing in front of it and they're like they have no idea what they're doing to their bodies at this point yeah of course uh well marie curie marie curie yeah one of the all-time great scientists the only i believe the only person to ever win two scientific nobel prizes really yeah there's, I used to know this because I used to write trivia for a living, and I've, there's was maybe like, with that caveat, it's true. Yeah, chemistry been, and physics. Physics, okay. Or it might have been medicine and one. It might. It was either chemistry of, and physics or medicine and one of those. Physics. Right. I think it was chemistry. But yeah. And so Vin Diesel just won for fastness and furiosity. Yeah. Right. Not, yeah. Okay. Uh, right. Yeah. yeah. The other two, like whenever there's been another double win, one of them's been peace. Hmm. Um. But, uh, yeah, I think she is the only doubles, the only two academic wins. Interesting. Um, so. That's cool. Yeah. Jack, Jack Ng, who heads the research assessment program for the Cooperative Research Center for Contamination Assessment and Remediation of the Environment, catchy title, (laughs) says Mercury's (laughs) impact on humans could be devastating. When you talk about organic form of mercury, this is neurological disorder. High doses can be fatal. 
It's particularly a problem in younger generation of children and its neurological disorders. Uh, and that's a major concern, he said. Hmm. Um, he also sees big potential for this new substance. From what the briefing describes, it seems to be a promising product, typically for mercury and water, or in aqueous form, it can act with this polymer material. That is weird grammar mm-hmm. that Dr. Ng has. We've reached some weird grammar a few times today, <laughs> we which have. we just did in that sentence adventure. I just said. Yeah. So I was just adding to the weird grammar of the whole uh, day. Uh, <laughs> By the way, just out of respect to um, maybe if this guy's family's listening, but uh, Frederick Sanger also has two. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Is that a recent thing? Um, the last one was 1980. There's two in chemistry. Ah, Oh, maybe it's two different disciplines. There we go. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, She's the only one same... in two different oh, okay. academic disciplines. Uh, either enough. way, very good scientist and died because she didn't know what radiation does because nope. she was the one who discovered it. Yep. And then her husband would have also probably, but then he just got hit by a horse cart or something, right? Yeah, and he was the one who discovered the horse cart. <laughs> It's, live by the understand. sword, die by the sword. You know? <laughs> yes, the most did, ironic family. Did not understand the danger of the horse right. cart, clearly, <laughs> which we recognize now. Yeah. That's why we don't have any, uh, at least oh, that's here why. in America. Okay, yeah. In America, at least. So, yeah, she has one for, for physics, uh, for the researches uh, uh, on the radiation phenomena discovered by uh, Becquerel. So she shared that with... Pierre and with Becquerel. Mm-hmm. And then the second one, where is it? Uh, yeah, she won the 1911 Nobel Prize in Chemistry, recognition to the, her services to the advancement of chemistry by the discovery of the elements radium and polonium, by the isolation of radium and the study of the nature and compounds of this remarkable element. Mm. She was the first person to win or share two Nobel Prizes and remains uh, alone with Linus Pauling as Nobel laureates in two fields each. But hmm. I think Pauling, Pauling won as peace, as peace and one, chemistry. Yeah. Wow. I don't know it's her amazing. story enough because, I mean, that's pretty amazing, a, a woman being in, even involved in science back then. Yeah, I can't believe that yeah. hasn't been made into like a big movie yeah. or something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like it sort of has all the elements, a life of tragedy as well. And Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, really. And yeah, it's. I'm sure it's a fascinating... Well, I mean, how, yeah, how do you, how, yeah, because people, women were like <laughs> not even considered smart enough back then to do yeah. stuff like that. So it's, she must have had good parents. Good parenting happened there. I, I don't know much about how she got her start. Yeah, I don't know. All right, guys, go do your research on Marie yes, Curie. People, report l- back let to us know. We well, need to know this now. The other one who's right for a, um, I think right for a movie, and this isn't at all in the field of science, but we're currently, the show Andy and I are working on is the production offices are in Max Sennett Studios. Mm-hmm. Uh, Max Sennett being the guy behind Keystone Cops and a lot of Chaplin and Fatty mm-hmm. Arbuckle films. But this is his second studio and it was built, he, he basically built it as a, ge- as a gift to Mabel Normand, who I know very little about. I don't know that name at all. And she was freaking badass. Like she was. She invented uh, the, the pie to the face. Really? Yeah, Possibly, yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Or she's yeah. one of a couple of people who stake a claim who, to it. Or who, who pitched it at a meeting. Right. At a, uh, and where? which studios are you guys at? Which it's, ones? It's the Max Center Studios. On, it's is like, it in Hollywood? Silver yeah. Week. It's right by... Oh, okay. It's, it's kind of by Sunset oldest, and uh, Franklin. Supposedly okay. it's the second oldest in the, in the, in the city. 
All right. Because that whole area used to be called Edendale. Yes. Which, uh, according to that, have you seen that movie Los Angeles Plays Itself? No. About the history of Los Angeles in movies? No, like I must. Predates, I'm like, I'm such a fondness for It's four hours long. Stuff. It's, it's fine. a long, but it's good. Uh, but that was actually in the, like that, that kind of should have been what we use as the location name that means the entertainment industry instead of Hollywood. Like Edendale uh, was where, it all, where it all started. started. And that's what's now Los Feliz, Echo Park, and Silver Lake. Yeah, and it was Edendale. all fields and dirt roads back then. And yeah, yeah. It was, I, mean, I love the old pictures from that time. But she was, um, so yeah, the studio is kind of cool. There's a basement that has a lot of stuff that, yeah. from early movies, wow. some old backdrops and the like. Wow. Um, but she not only was a star of, silent comedies she also wrote and directed a whole load of them mm-hmm. uh, i think i have heard of her yeah because i know there was a female big female director back yeah then. um so yeah. she was a f- yeah before they told women they were- couldn't do it <laughs> pretty much but also <laughs> had a crazy decided, life yeah. um two people were killed by her chauffeur and she died age 37 from tuberculosis wow so yeah there's a movie there's success yeah. and tragedy and yeah. interest and intrigue and- we need meryl streep's daughter to attach herself to that and get this get this thing going is there a Meryl Streep's daughter yeah her name is Gummy ah uh, what's her name hold on I will find out uh she's incredible she was in um she was in that HBO show about the news network um oh, oh um, uh, um, um the new wait newsroom with yes. Jeff Daniels yeah she played the political reporter the blonde political reporter that was on the uh, campaign trail and ended up hooking up with the main guy, who's the main guy, okay. not the anchor guy. I haven't seen um, a lot of it. Yeah, she's she's been in a lot of things. She's amazing. She's a cool. fantastic actress, like her like her mother, obviously. But really, I mean, just really great. But she would be you know, she'd be a good Mabel Norman. She, I think she would. I don't know why. I don't know what Mabel looks like, but Mamie just, Gummer. Yeah, this, yeah, <laughs> Mamie Gummer. Name. That's her name. Mamie That's Gummer. A great name. Yeah. Uh, I don't know who the Don Gummer. Look, we're getting way off track here. Okay, I know we have to let you. <laughs> Sorry, go. it wasn't scientific at all. We went into Hollywood. No, no, no that's no. a different podcast. We rarely say we stayed more on topic than normal on this. Yeah. Oh, okay. I think then. we did a good job. All right. Speaking of which, Kelly. Yes. Where can our listeners find out more about you and your work? Well, they can always go to my website, which is uh, kellycarlin.com. And then follow me on Twitter. I'm Kelly underscore Carlin because oh. I was an early Twitterer and didn't understand that uh, you just want to shove all your letters together. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, no. so you chose it. Oh, yeah. Because it was like, you need a space between your first yeah. and last name people. This is proper English. Let's be, <laughs> let's be, you know. Otherwise people will think I'm just Kelly Carlin. Right. Like exactly. Just- so now I have to say the extra word underscore but you know it's okay it makes people remember me you well know? now you've had the whole conversation about it people will totally remember it. exactly exactly so yeah if you go if you go there follow me all my stuff's there you can i have a public page on at facebook if you happen to be over there too if you're not i get it if i didn't have <laughs> to be over there i probably wouldn't either and we will put up a link at probablyscience.com to your book great uh, which you can buy if you're buying on Amazon. You can buy through our link. Yes, you please still do. can do that. Buy that, it through these guys' link, please. That's do. still working. Yeah, that's still. Uh, you can find that link on at probablyscience.com. Why not set your Amazon bookmark on your browser to be our thing, so you don't have to remember to type it in. Yep. We will have the 
donate thing set up again very soon. Thank you and apologies to anyone who's tried to give us money this week. And seriously, anybody who has tips on the best, uh, cheapest way of setting up a simple LLC? Uh, I do. I'll help you with okay. that. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Thank. Um, and if you're not uh, able to donate, which you everyone is not able to donate right now, <laughs> and you're not buying anything on Amazon, the other way you can really help us out is by spreading the word. Please tell friends and family and anyone you know who enjoys podcasts or is thinking about enjoying podcasts to go and check our thing out uh facebook it tweet it spread the word and spread the word about kelly and because she's amazing uh ah oh, thank you that's very nice so uh i believe that's everything mm-hmm. uh send us stories probably science at gmail.com tweet us at probably science and we will see you next week thank you again so much kelly yeah, thanks a ton. my pleasure thanks for having me 